Welcome to Food Focus, a weekly companion to the Retail Focus podcast. Each show will discuss news, issues, and product releases in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Here are your hosts, Trent Kling and Leighton Kling. Welcome to another edition of the Food Focus Podcast with Trent and Leighton Kling. Coming up on this week's show, we'll talk the quick service pizza industry as two titans of the industry release their earnings reports. We'll also discuss an applesauce recall, but first McDonald's is pushing a new limited time beverage deal in hopes to earn customer traffic back after their same store sales declined 1.3% in their fourth quarter. What is this limited time beverage? deal you might ask well the company is beginning to showcase all fountain drinks at all sizes at a one dollar price point now some of their upscale drinks smoothies frappes and espresso drinks will be two dollars it's important to note that they've had promotions like this before typically during the summer months especially in the south they will offer more than one size of sweet tea at just a dollar and lately they've been offering multiple sizes of coffees at just one dollar but this is the first time that some of their premium drinks including smoothies frappes and espresso drinks will be wrapped into the promotion a notable exclusion is their line of shakes. However, the company has seen positive momentum in their value-priced offerings thanks to their multiple platforms, including the two for $3 or two for $5, and in some markets, two for $2 offers, and they're looking to keep those value offerings going for their customer base. McDonald's has been looking to differentiate in a number of ways, and those value offerings are certainly one way to drive traffic, which is their primary initiative here. If you compare the drink sizes that they're offering here for the $1 and $2 price point, you can kind of compare to what they have currently. A large size fountain drink is typically around $1.30, $1.40, and then a large size frappe is around $3 to $4. And so they are taking a significant chunk off that price point. They've also been trying some other pricing-based promotions that you had mentioned. But then the common theme here, again, underlying theme from management is to drive traffic through these pricing promotions. Steve Easterbrook has been the CEO of McDonald's since March 1st, 2015. And that really is the tie-in here in that all of these happenings have been through his management guidance. And this is largely one of the other things that he's done along with the successful implementation of the all-day breakfast campaign and as recently as 2016, the All Day Breakfast 2.0 campaign that they had talked about during December of last year being fully implemented in the U.S. markets. From the economic standpoint, they will certainly not be looking to lose money with these discounted beverages. Analysts after this report have estimated that gross margins currently on some of these fountain drinks approach 90%. To put that in perspective, food gross margins linger between 60 and 70%. However, again, tied back into that strategy, even Even though those food margins are less overall, they may be hoping and anticipating more food sales will come in when customers initially are just coming in for those cheaper espressos or frappes. That is correct. And something that's important to note about their pricing-based promotions is to this point, a lot of their value menu platforms, including the two for $5 or two for $3 promotions, have kind of been left up to individual franchisees. And it appears as though this LTO will be implemented throughout the country. But one thing that McDonald's has been moving more and more towards 
are value platforms that are offered on a limited time basis. So rather than something like a permanent dollar menu or a permanent value menu, McDonald's is rotating in and out some of these different promotions, trying to keep things fresh for their franchisees. And also this helps to remove pressure on the franchisees because McDonald's can assess after one or two or three months whether this place is an undue burden on those that actually own the stores. And that was one of the complaints actually about their previous dollar menu is that some of their offerings on the dollar menu were actually losing money for the franchisees. As you mentioned, soft drinks typically have very large margins. You mentioned margins on certain drinks approaching 90%. Margins will be less on their line of smoothies and frappes and that type of thing. Anytime you get milk or dairy products mixed in, that's going to decrease margins a little bit, especially when you're offering those drinks at just $2. But this promotion clearly designed to drive more guest traffic. We talked about their comparable store sales in the fourth quarter declining in the U.S. Their operating income also decreased during this last quarter and traffic to U.S. locations dropped in 2016 as a whole after they came back down off of the uplift from the first rollout of All Day Breakfast the year prior. So All Day Breakfast 2.0 helped to ease the burden a little bit, but they're still seeing a traffic decline. Drinks are something where it's tough to determine if that's going to be a gateway towards getting people to spend money at McDonald's and go for some of the food offerings that are being offered at comparatively full price. But Easterbrook has said in the past, and he said it again on a call with analysts in January, that he wants to be very aggressive on the value end this year. In all likelihood, that means on top of this promotion, you're likely to see some more rollouts in the 2-4 menu and some of the McPick 2 offerings that were so popular during 2015 and 2016 and in Leighton for the company this isn't the first time that they've slashed prices to try and boost traffic in the U.S. Yeah and you had alluded to it at the beginning saying that in certain markets during the summer months they cut the prices of some of their soft drinks but in 2010 in July of 2010 they decreased food and drink prices in the U.S. to help draw in more traffic again more traffic when the economy was still down from the recessionary period and so you see this tie in here Back in 2010, they had slashed prices not only on soft drinks and other beverages, but also food items. Really here, what I'm going to be paying attention to going forward is if this strategy sticks and if they keep some of these lower prices going forward. They said this was a limited time offering that they're starting in April of this year, but McDonald's does like to find out what sticks with their limited time offerings overall and something that a lot of QSRs don't really practice. We've criticized Arby's in the past for often taking away a limited time offering that performs exceedingly well. So perhaps variations of success could lead to a permanent change and at least some of their beverage categories. You had said that some of their margins are a little stiffer on the frappes and espressos, but for instance, they may try to decide to keep their $1 any size fountain drinks, but keep the smoothies, frappes, and espressos back up to the prior pricing levels. This all isn't to say that the fast food industry in the U.S. is declining. Ibis World shows that top line growth in the U.S. for fast food is still increasing. We're seeing a 2.4% increase last year, and they're taking into consideration a potential 1.5% gain this year and 1.6% gain overall in 2018. And if you look at McDonald's as a whole, 
if you compare their size and their sales in 2015 to what the market did in terms of top line sales, the McDonald's U.S. sales were roughly $8.6 billion. This versus a total U.S. fast food industry of $224 billion. So they take up 3.8% of the U.S. market share as of 2015. But if you see that the fast food industry is still growing, albeit at a modest 1.5% rate, but we still see negative same store sales, that clearly means they are losing traction and market share in the U.S. markets. I think one of the interesting things about this limited time offer is it signals more of a shift away towards offering healthy and unique choices because, again, there's not really a way to spin offering a 32-ounce fountain drink for a dollar as something that's a healthy choice as most times those drinks are full of sugar or high fructose corn syrup, one of those things. And additionally, their frappes have a lot of sugar in them, their lattes, their espresso drinks do contain a lot of sugar. And in fact, according to a lot of industry insiders and obviously my own taste buds, after trying them as someone that's very familiar with the coffee industry, I can say that they are uh, several margins sweeter than Starbucks drinks. You're not exactly looking at healthful beverages for the consumer for the most part. Now, they do offer things like teas and that type of thing. But at the same time, they seem to be going away from kind of differentiating themselves on ingredients which they've tried to do in the recent past and differentiating themselves more on price and we can look to their real fruit smoothies for this they do mostly contain real fruit but there's still some artificial flavors there according to the ingredients list on their website and i'll be anxious to see if franchisees If they're allowed to begin to make the switch towards Coca-Cola freestyle machines or if that's something that franchisees are even interested in because McDonald's does have a deal with Coca-Cola. This is something Five Guys has done with a decent amount of success. You see other restaurants like Qdoba jumping into these Coca-Cola freestyle machines. And even though there are some complaints with these machines, they still offer customers a larger choice. And if they can do this, we've talked about the Coca-Cola freestyle machines really eating into the market share of Sonic as far as their fountain drink combinations. I think that's where McDonald's can play into this industry. If you offer both inexpensive soft drinks and soft drinks that you can mix with multiple different combinations, that's where you start to eat in on the market share of some of the other QSR operators out there. But by and large, you can see certainly that this deal for McDonald's is intended to drive increased traffic. And I like the fact that they are taking this chance on a product that, let's be honest, carries with it a solid margin in the first place. So this is going to be something that's likely going to make the individual franchisees a little bit more happy than, say, discounting a sandwich to a dollar when it might cost 95 cents to make it. We transition from American fast food to the United States pizza industry and Papa John's as they released their fourth quarter earnings last week and failed to meet sales expectations. The number three pizza QSR in the U.S. blamed several factors for the miss, including declining NFL ratings. They beat on earnings. However, the company reported adjusted earnings per share of 69 cents, while analyst expectations were about 66 cents per share. The company saw revenue figures of about $440 million for the quarter, missing the estimates of $445 million. Up 5.5% year over year, however, mostly due to the international sales boost, about 9% of an increase year over year there. Despite softer than expected North American sales, they still largely had positive same-store sales in the market. 
3.8% was their figure for same-store sales in the fourth quarter. Same-store sales for the year, since this was a full fiscal year report as well, were up 3.5%. So fairly solid numbers for Papa John's. By contrast, however, a company that we will talk about in the next segment, Domino's delivered same-store sales of 12.2% for the fourth quarter and 10.5% for the full fiscal year. So a lot of opportunity still with Papa John's here in the domestic market. Reasons for the miss, as I alluded to earlier, NFL ratings. The Super Bowl had less viewership for the second year in a row, and this is actually something we had talked about on the Retail Focus podcast. A lot of analysts in that industry were saying that viewership was going to be trending down for the second year in a row, and it did. Super Bowl 51 had one half of 1% average U.S. viewers than it did last year. Papa John's had a very large presence in that advertising campaign surrounding the event. Again, many projections were stating the viewership was going to be down, though. So this is a little curious as to why Papa John's pointed to this as a reason for falling sales. They did mention that ads overall were hurt because of the 8% decrease for the entire season. NFL ratings were down not just in the postseason, but the regular season as well. Papa John's ads that were aired during the NFL events focused more on the ingredients such as the pizza itself and the employees. They really want to drive home a message that they care about their employees and the communities where they operate the business in. They have 120,000 plus employees currently for the business as a whole. And despite the lack of eyeballs, they said they are still focused on being relevant in sports circles. This is something I found interesting in that they were bragging about sponsoring an NHRA drag car that just got a world record. They are also focused more on MLB commercials as well. They said this is going to be something they are highlighting for the next fiscal year as far as marketing expenses are concerned for the rest of 2017. I do think this is a curious marketing strategy for Papa John's, and the fact that they reference it in the earnings release is also somewhat curious. Now, keep in mind, their same-store sales are still very positive. They had same-store sales during this last quarter at an increase of 3.8%, and that's despite the softer-than-expected North American sales. Overall, their same-store sales were up still by 3.5%, which suggests a healthy operator, yet they continue to funnel marketing money towards sporting events. And part of this is because John Schnatter is, of course, a huge sports fan. He's the CEO of Papa John's. And it seems like he is interested towards putting a lot of their marketing dollars towards sports, which is all well and good. But when a sport begins to hemorrhage a little bit in the ratings, like the NFL, for example, then you begin to worry that maybe you've put too many eggs in one basket. They also do a lot of sponsorship deals with collegiate athletics. And to this point, we haven't seen that same shrinkage in terms of ratings across the board, but we will keep our eyes on the upcoming NCAA men's basketball tournament and see where that goes as far as eyeballs on televisions, eyeballs on media outlets during that tournament and how much visibility Papa John's has during those events. But again, on the marketing front, they continue to drive home the idea that they have better ingredients than the other pizza QSR operators out there. This is something that's been the case for many, many years, for a couple of decades now. They continue to try and differentiate on the ingredients front. And that's a positive thing. We talk about Pi 5 as a business that right now is suffering in same-store sales with double-digit decreases year over year and 
part of the problem is they're not differentiating themselves or trying to differentiate themselves on any one aspect of things. So Papa John's, even though they have decreased prices for the end consumer, they continue to harp on the fact that they use better ingredients and fresher ingredients ostensibly than the other QSR operators. So you like that consistency in their marketing message. At the same time, though, they said they wanted to increase the focus on people within their community. They claim to be what they call a pizza family and, in fact, created a website called PapaJohnsPizzaFamily.com. The idea was to share some of their team members' inspirational stories. Again, as Leighton mentioned, they have over 120,000 employees throughout their entire system. But I find this a little bit intriguing as far as marketing expenditure is concerned. Now, granted, this doesn't cost a ton of money to start a website and hire maybe a PR firm or someone internally to publicize these stories. But the fact that they're really harping on this in terms of marketing and talking about expenditures in terms of publicizing their employees, one thing that we noticed and pointed out towards the end of 2016 is as you look back through some of the Whole Foods top 10 food trends that they anticipate for the next year, as you go through the last three or four years of that list, one thing really stands out, which is that people buying the products don't necessarily care that much about the employees. And that sounds very callous, and I'm not saying that people don't care at all about one another or anything like that. But other marketing messages seem to drive home a little bit better than just saying your pizza comes from this employee who happens to be special because of this reason or we pay our employees what we feel to be a solid living wage that seems to be not a terrifically great marketing strategy at look at least looking at food trends throughout the last three to four years people care a lot more about the source of their ingredients which is good for papa john's because they've always harped on the quality of their ingredients they care about the quality of their food and and they want consistency across offerings. And I think that's something that Papa John's can really emphasize. I'm not saying that creating a website and publicizing these stories is necessarily wasted money or that they're throwing out bad money here. But it's just an intriguing look for a company that started to see some slips in terms of not meeting investor expectations after having just completely blitzed those expectations during the last fiscal year. Absolutely. And tying back into the marketing expenditures that you were alluding to, you really have to wonder if there was some pushback from the U.S. franchisees. They made a deal that was announced through this quarter's earnings release that U.S. franchisees would have to increase their contribution to the National Ad Expense Fund from 4% of net sales to 5% of net sales. So on a percentage basis, that's around 20%. So you have to wonder if the U.S. franchisees were all on board or if this was something that was voted in. They will increase sequentially, however, until they hit the 5% mark. So about four quarters from now is when they'll hit that 5% of net sales figure. They also hired their first chief information and digital officer, which ties into their marketing ad campaigns, but also their technology front. We talk about how mobile is really becoming the area where the pizza QSR industry has to go. You see Domino's really dominating that space, having multiple iterations of their app, a very successful application overall. But they seemed very excited about this announcement. They spoke very little about technology overall, except to say that it is very important for customers and they need to meet customers more where they are, which is what we've heard from a lot of other QSRs in this segment. As of now, they do accept multiple forms of payment, including PayPal, Visa Checkout, and PayShare. This was implemented throughout the last 12 months or so. 
The company, as for their openings, they celebrated their 5,000 store opening during the fourth quarter. They have 126 new net openings for the quarter, 204 for the year. If you see the percentage of U.S. openings versus international, you can see about 25 of those were based in the United States. 53 new openings in 2016. Shares of the stock, even though we don't talk about shares too much on this podcast, fell 8%. Because of those shareholder expectations that you had talked about, Trent, shares fell to around $75 a share and have stayed there since last week. They just did come off of an all-time high in December when shares of Papa John's hit an all-time high of around $90 a share. And let's be honest here, maybe some of those investor expectations were a little blown out of proportion because of what Domino's has done over the last couple of fiscal years. But still, Papa John's very effective operationally, and in theory, they should continue to grow same restaurant or same store sales throughout the next fiscal year as they show no signs of slowing down. I think it's an excellent sign for them looking forward that they hired their first chief information and digital officer. Hard to believe that it's taken that long, especially for a business that sees so many orders through their mobile technology and through their online platforms. Well, from one pizza restaurant to another, Domino's came out with another stellar quarter of earnings here. Their fourth quarter earnings came out on Tuesday of this week. Domino's also added to that their end-of-year results. Their total revenue rose 10.6% to $819.4 million. That topped analysts' average estimates by over million. So amazing numbers coming out of Domino's. The company's net income rose about 16%. Their earnings per share came in at solid numbers. It was $1.48 for the fourth quarter versus $1.18 in the fourth quarter one year prior. They opened 1,000 units internationally. In fact, 1,100 units internationally in the fourth quarter alone. Another 171 in the United States. And it just seems, Leighton, like Domino's is continuing to grow out this concept with no end in sight. Absolutely. I'd finished the Papa John's story off with how many units they had opened. And Domino's is more than doubling their share in the United States and internationally. Overall, they now have over 13,000 units. So this is a company that is operating at an extremely high level. You see that the company now is now seeing same-store sales globally at 13.7%, which was higher than their own forecast. And this is actually sequentially higher when you see that their full fiscal year same-store sales came in around 10%. So here we have Domino's, who is just dominating in a variety of ways. And they're doing so not just in the U.S., but in a multitude of markets overseas. Same-store sales in the domestic markets were up 12.2% for company-owned locations and 12.1% for franchised outlets. And this is something I want to talk about very briefly here in that anytime you see a company have same-store sales almost equivalent between company-owned locations and franchised outlets, you're seeing a company that knows its strategy and has implemented it very well and has related all of their knowledge very thoroughly to their franchisees. And this ties into what their CEO, Jay Patrick Doyle, had said during the call. He said over 90% of our domestic franchisees started as drivers, pizza makers, and hourly workers in our stores. And this is a homegrown culture that shapes what we do and how we do it. So really right here, you can understand that the high-end operators have done every position within these stores, or at least the majority of them, so they know the business in and out. And the CEO went on to say that they are 
ultra passionate about the pizza industry overall. Even though the U.S. still makes up the largest chunk of their business, domestic revenues overall were less than international revenue growth due to their obvious lesser marginal increases in store counts and better overall same-store sales abroad. They continue to grow, Trent, which is something you had alluded to. They increase their forecast through the next few years. Over the next three to five years, Domino's sees same-store sales come in between 3 and 6%, this up from a prior view of 2 to 5%. So there's a lot of reasons for this growth, and this is what was most interesting about the call in that they pointed to several reasons that they'll continue to grow throughout 2017 and beyond. They really harp on technology. They did so during this last earnings call. This is something that they've been developing for a long time now. And it shows because, again, their app in the Apple App Store, if you will, is consistently among the highest rated restaurant apps that's out there. They're continually making things easier for the consumer. In fact, now you can order your easy order through a number of different ways, including as they pressed through advertisements last year via tweets but digital wallets and smartphone technology that's being implemented by Domino's has also made it easier and it's made a barrier to getting a pizza for any individual for any customer of Domino's much easier to overcome and one of the things that we tend to like about it as we talk about Domino's on the show is the fact that they are constantly looking towards evolution on their app. They're not settled with just having a very good, very solid, functional app, but they want to make digital throughput faster. And this is something I feel like a lot of QSRs and a lot of restaurants in general don't focus on. They are so focused on in-store throughput, but to have a user experience that is easy, that is seamless, that works well with what you have on the back end is certainly something that is valuable for a company. And Domino's isn't seeing the issues with the mobile payment systems and the mobile apps that some other businesses are having. We talked about Starbucks three to four weeks ago having in-store throughput issues caused by the digital orders because the digital orders come in, they come in alongside the in-store orders and everything kind of gets convoluted behind the counter. They don't have dedicated people in place to work on those online orders. They still haven't figured the behind the counter machinations of digital ordering out yet but that's something Domino's has had now figured out for a few years very rarely do customers have to wait too long for their pizza and what's more and I think this is especially important in the pizza industry you know incorrect orders will happen it's just the nature of the business you want to reduce them as much as possible but franchisees have really gone the extra mile when they get an order wrong to try and make things right so they're constantly giving out free pizza free food when something like that happens to make sure sure those customers keep coming back and they don't get disenchanted with the model. But again, they've been able to reduce the number of incorrect orders. They've even focused a large portion of their ad campaign over the last two to three years towards getting people to use the mobile app. In fact, suggesting that phone ordering is not only a thing of the past, but is something that's relatively inefficient. So customers are happier when they're using the app and that's helped to drive some of these same restaurant sales. You can look at their numbers over the next three years and even see three to 6% as a little bit low considering we've seen constant double-digit same-store sales growth or same restaurant sales growth over the past couple of years. But I think measured growth going forward for Domino's is certainly something that they are eyeing. They want to make sure that their growth can be sustainable, that they don't have this massive double-digit growth pop and then suddenly shrink back because either they lose market share 
or they rest on their laurels. So they are so focused on further innovating their format and building out their U.S. footprint. Yeah, they definitely want to stay market leaders in the technology front in their respective industry. You see that management said they spent $60 million in capital expenditures in 2016, and a good solid chunk of that was deployed to technology improvements. And then going forward, Jeffrey Lawrence, their CFO, said they'll increase that. Their increased spending in e-commerce and technology initiative spending will only go up. So you'll see increases in e-commerce and technology initiative spending going forward. They have continued also to invest in their pizza theater re-imaging, which is something we had touched on last quarter. They are revamping some of their older locations and they have all of this cash available because they have been very fixed on lowering their operating costs. They incited some supply chain cost saving initiatives, including lower insurance cost, a more efficient supply chain. And they said that commodity prices, the food and other inputs that go into their pizzas are actually a little bit down as well for 2016. And they said they expect to have it flat to positive 2% for 2017, which is a little bit in contrast to some other restaurants. Texas Roadhouse had said last quarter that they are predicting a flat to 2% decline with commodity pricing, but all is well for Domino's if they can keep their pricing inputs in check. This is something that is very important, and this is a huge reason why you see a lot of big operators like Domino's, like Papa John's or Pizza Hut, have long-term contracts to make sure that nothing, as far as the variable expenses are concerned, fluctuates too much in the coming year. Overall, they do have a massive investor return. They highlighted this for about half of the earnings call. The company said they repurchased and retired about 102,000 shares of stock, which is equivalent to about $16.4 million. And they still have more than half left of the repurchasing program. And then also they increased their dividend. Their shares do give a dividend. This represented a 21.1% increase. They're boosting it to 46 cents per share quarterly. And this was as of February 15th of this year. One interesting thing is that their press release regarding the financial results for the fourth quarter didn't really highlight their rewards program, their piece of the pie rewards program that they have highlighted in previous earnings calls as far as driving return traffic. It was kind of glossed over, so I'm anxious to see once they churn out their typical year-end presentation how much they look at the piece of the pie reward system as a potential driver for not only customer revisiting, but also future growth. This was something that they had mentioned briefly in their Investor Day presentation back at the beginning of January. For our last story, we will be talking about a food safety issue, this time with Trader Joe's as they announced a sweeping recall of their private label applesauce. The FDA posted the recall on Saturday, February 25th. This recall is actually very similar to something we had covered with Sierra Nevada Brewing, a recall we spoke about about a month ago. There was a limited number of bottles in that case that contained pieces of broken glass. And out of an abundance of caution, Sierra Nevada decided to halt the production of that particular bottle and brand. But this was not an FDA recall. We want to make that very clear. Anytime a distributor or a producer voluntarily recalls something, the FDA then has to post the notification on their website and make a formal filing. Oddly enough, though, this recall did make some major headlines. They were covered in several media outlets, including ABC, USA Today, and Fox News. This Trader Joe's applesauce recall includes three different varieties. Trent, what are these varieties? Yes, yeah, so we have Trader Joe's First Crush Unsweetened Gravenstein Applesauce, 
with the barcode number 00015905. All these best before dates on that particular variety through August 8th of 2018. This recall applies to them, and we should mention that all of these applesauces are packaged in 24-ounce glass jars that are, again, the culprit for this voluntary recall. The best before date, by the way, is stamped on the lid. There's also Trader Joe's Organic Unsweetened Applesauce, barcode number 00194877. Best before dates there through October 6, 2018. And finally, Trader Joe's All Natural Unsweetened Applesauce with barcode number 00014359. And all best before dates through December 16th of 2018. As with any recall, you worry as you look ahead about possible lost market share. But in Trader Joe's case, they're in a unique position in the marketplace. We talk about Sierra Nevada existing already in a very competitive spot in the marketplace. When we were talking about Bluebell's series of recalls, of course, Bluebell, there are many other types of ice cream out there for customers to partake in. And with Chipotle, obviously, and all of the madness that happened around food safety there about a year and a half ago at this point or a little over a year ago at this point. Obviously, there are other competitors in not only the fast casual industry, but also the fast casual Mexican industry. But Trader Joe's has this unique connection with their customers such that you don't feel like this is going to be that much of a hit. Again, applesauce, not something we consider a staple item necessarily. Disappointing, no doubt, for consumers that really enjoy this applesauce. But because Trader Joe's has this cult-like following, you don't feel like they're going to be impacted too much long-term by this voluntary recall. We should also mention that these first crush and organic varieties that are being recalled were sold by all Trader Joe's stores. The all-natural variety was sold at only Trader Joe's stores in Alabama, Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Louisiana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Oklahoma, Texas, Utah, and Washington. That's quite a mouthful there. And again, if you want any information on this recall, you can go to fda.gov forward slash safety forward slash recalls and the link to it is right on that page. The news of the problem, however, first broke with the company not necessarily saying how the problem was discovered, but eventually, in fact, just over this past weekend, it was uncovered, Leighton, that customers had complained of finding glass inside the applesauce bottles per the FDA. And this is where it differentiates itself from the Sierra Nevada recall in that they seem to have caught it before the consumers did in their quality control setting. Yeah, it was actually uncovered on Sunday, which was exactly one day after the initial recall posted on the FDA's website. As of now, they said that all potentially affected products have been removed from store shelves and destroyed. This according to Trader Joe's recall notice. So there were a few incidents where people were finding pieces of glass in their bottles, but it looks as though it's just been capped to the couple reports that came out on this last Sunday. The supplier for Trader Joe's applesauce, it, which is Monsanto Products Incorporated, is the main supplier of their Apple-related products. The company has existed since 1922 and became officially incorporated in 1945. And this is important because Monsanto actually supplies several other grocers, especially on the West Coast, which is where they operate. They operate out of Northern California. According to its website, they offer applesauce, apple juice, apple cider vinegar, and several other juices like pear and grape and things of that nature. But most notable is their dedication to the all-natural and all-organic segment, which is why 
They are a Trader Joe's contributor. They really supply a lot of these non-GMO products that Trader Joe's is very fond of, and which is why they have a very strong customer base, a very strong brand following. But Overall, this is a little worrisome considering they have all these other products and we can assume this supply chain may house other products in those 24-ounce jars as well. But for Trader Joe's, Trent, you had mentioned that this could be a little bit of a PR hit. However, they do have a strong brand following on the West Coast, so I think they should be able to endure. It is a little bit different from a company that produces something in-house. You see a lot of food quality issues with Whole Foods last year when their own private label branding was actually supplied by their own manufacturing plants inside the U.S. So this was actually a third party, so they can take a little bit of a sigh of relief in that it wasn't their operations that had these issues with the glass pieces in these bottles. Well, as we always do to conclude the Food Focus podcast, Leighton and I will finish up by each discussing one product that we tried that's new or newer, at least, to the world of food. And we begin with Leighton, who did you try a natural food product this week? Well, I had tried something that really wasn't that new to the market, but a local Chick-fil-A was offering an egg white grill, which was introduced in July of last year. The sandwich has about 300 calories, 25 grams of protein, and a few grams of fat. This really competes with something you would see at a McDonald's. However, they use an all-white chicken breast with an egg white. This is something a little differentiated, but it is still a breakfast offering. But the sandwich itself has a price point similar to something you would see at a McDonald's. It's around $3.35. As far as the caloric content that I just mentioned, this actually came in a little bit below expectations. You're looking at a sandwich such as this, typically has a butter spread on it, and I was assuming it'd be around four to 500 calories, but when I looked up the ingredient list on the chickenwire.chickfilet.com, the ingredients and the caloric content really took me by surprise. So this is something that I not only enjoyed from the eating perspective, but also enjoyed from the price point and the health conscious consumer's perspective as well. We don't really talk about Chick-fil-A's breakfast offerings too often, but it seems that they are, with some of their limited breakfast offerings at least, having good success in the mornings. So I want to foreshadow our next edition of the Food Focus, knowing this last week that we were going to talk about Colton's Steakhouse and Grill on the first Food Focus in March that'll hit on March 7th. I went to a Colton Steakhouse and Grill. Now, their locations exist primarily in the lower Midwest and the Great Plains. And I tried out the sirloin tips. These are sirloin tips that they serve with sautéed peppers and onions. Overall, the atmosphere is very similar to what you would find at a Texas Roadhouse, except the dining area was airier. And this restaurant, I'm to understand, had just opened in the last six months. That's also something that we'll talk about on next week's podcast is kind of the growth pattern of Colton's Steakhouse and Grill. Unfortunately for me, at least, I ended up waiting from the time I placed my order to the time I got my food one hour and 10 minutes. This despite the fact that well over 70% of the tables in this restaurant were empty. By the time I got my sirloin tips, they were room temperature. And to be honest, I didn't feel as though they were actually cooked to order. So maybe new restaurant having some issues there. The price point though was really good. And for most of Colton's products, the price point is actually below that, which you would find not only at a Texas roadhouse, but another similar steakhouse style restaurant. Like for example, a Montana Mike's or a Longhorn Steakhouse if you're staying 
in kind of the premium end of things. So the price point was good. The experience was all right. They had the peanuts at the table, just like most restaurants do that exist in this similar vein. And there were unlimited rolls. And I have to say, honestly, the rolls were probably my favorite part of my trip to Colton's. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Food Focus podcast. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at the Food Focus, where Leighton will be tweeting out seven days a week the latest news and stories from the world of food. Be sure and check out Retail Focus. It'll hit later this week. We'll discuss earnings from Costco as well as earnings from Burlington Coat Factory existing in a very successful off-price space. We're back with that, and we're back with another Food Focus seven days from now. Until then, for Leighton, I'm Trent. So long. This has been the Food Focus Podcast. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. For more information or for past podcast episodes, visit us online at retailfocuspodcast.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at The Food Focus for news in the restaurant, fast food, beverage, and grocery industries. Thank you.